Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Uh, as mentioned, I'm a historian and political scientist born and living in Prague. And I'm also kind of a precious cargo because I was only one with very few Czechs who made it to the United States in the past few months. So here I am. Uh, uh, I have been doing research on the history of the Czech communities in America for many years now. Uh, today there are some million five hundred thousand uh, Americans of full or partial Czech descent. And in the past, the traces of you know brave Czech pioneers and settlers were to be found literally everywhere in North America. But many chapters of this fascinating history, um, or fascinating part of the Czech history, are uh, still remain uh, still remaining undiscovered, and it is my task to fill this gap, at least partially. So I had a chance to visit uh, numerous archives, universities, and libraries in, here in the, in the United States. And it is my great pleasure that my research brought me also to the beautiful state of Montana. Uh, I gave a talk at the University in Missoula, in Bozeman. I had a talk in Helena, so uh, finally I'm here in, in Butte. At the beginning, let me tell you uh, a bit about the Czechs in the United States in general, focusing primarily on the period before World War I, because that was the golden age uh, of the community. And then I will focus specifically on the northwestern part of the states. Let's get started. The Czech Republic, um, or you can call it Czechia, uh, but you know sometimes the American journalists uh, mix it up and uh, say Chechnya instead of Czechia, which is a bit different country <laughs> in another part of the world. Uh, the Czech Republic is a very small country in the very heart of Europe, consisting of three historical regions, uh, Bohemia, Moravia, and Silesia. And since ancient times, the country has always been threatened by larger neighbors uh, for its strategic position, and the Czech life wasn't uh, easy. Therefore, thousands of Czechs dreamed, um, uh, or they have been always attracted by exotic lands, and dreamed of leaving their poor homeland and finding better living conditions elsewhere in Western Europe or then uh, in America. At the end of uh, the 15th century, the news about uh, the discovery of the New World uh, spread in Central Europe, and the first Czech-written uh, brochure about America was published in 1506. Some eight decades later, the chronicles mentioned the name Joachim Gans, uh, a metallurgist from Prague who landed in the territory of today's North Carolina and Virginia in the company of the expedition of British colonists. We might also remember August Hermann, or August de Hermann, we can see his picture here, uh, who was an adventurer, cartographer, who settled in New Amsterdam in 1633. He found success as a businessman through land speculation and became famous for making the first detailed map of Virginia and Maryland. And Herman uh, belonged to the group of, let's say, political and religious refugees who had uh, to leave their country to avoid uh, persecution. During the 18th century, it was Moravian brothers, Protestant missionaries who arrived in America to spread the faith among the natives. And in the rich amount of historical material from the next two centuries, we can find a long series of Czech-sounding surnames in America. Mostly, you know, brave individuals who went through the miserable and grueling journey across the Atlantic Ocean uh, to find their fortunes um, uh, on its western side. Only after the middle of 19th century, uh, we, can talk after, uh, we can talk about a really massive wave of migration. Bohemia had been under the rule of the Austrian Empire for more than 300 years by then, and the reasons to leave the country were obvious. The Czech word robota actually means forced labor, 
and the peasants were obliged to work for their rewards uh, during designated days uh, throughout the year, um, especially during the planting and harvesting periods, without any remuneration. Uh, this forced labor was abolished in the year 1848 as part of the transformation of the political regimes in the Austrian uh, monarchy through revolutions that took place in Prague, Budapest, Vienna, and other cities. However, these rebellions were all eventually unsuccessful, and their short period of liberalism was quickly replaced by a rigid regime and, and a police state. Although some parts of Bohemia progressed industrially, the majority of its regions we can consider very poor and underdeveloped rural areas. And about 80% of uh, Czech newcomers to America came from these uh, deprived uh, areas. Uh, in those days, the peasants in, in Czech lands were uh, classified into three subcategories or subclasses, namely the farmers, the cottagers, and the laborers. While the farmers enjoyed the highest social status and even strengthened their position after the revolution in 1848, the cottagers and the laborers uh, lived in poverty. Uh, the cottagers at least possessed houses, in some cases even with land holdings. However, the laborers were without any property and were bound to their uh, employers. At that time, uh, there was no further farmland of high quality available, because wealthy landowners, uh, manufacturers, church and aristocrats uh, parceled almost all of it. The crisis of domestic wool and textile production in 1850s was another serious reason for, for Czech emigration. You know, the people farmed, planted, cultivated the fields and also bred animals, typically uh, sheep for wool. Suddenly, the cotton started to be imported uh, into the Austrian Empire uh, and the, the traditional wool manufacture ended and the small producers lost their income. So they sold their property and moved to America as the last chance to get a decent life for their uh, children. And last but not least, uh, the lack of political and religious freedom uh, was another factor playing an important role in the exodus. Literally, the feeling of liberty proved as uh, alluring to the Czechs as much as owning land to farm. The Czech people would not accept the Germanization of their motherland. They rather preferred uh, immigration to serving in the Austrian army. They also resisted Catholic Church, since there was a strong uh, tradition of Protestantism in our country. Uh, there was the so-called Hussite movement, following the religious thinker and priest Jan Hus, who was burned uh, by the church in 1415. So, desperate parents uh, went through long months of administrative obstacles from Austrian authorities, uh, finally receiving the necessary permissions and stamps, and then sold their property, uh, took uh, their kids, got on the trains to German ports, in particular to Hamburg or Bremen, and from there across the Atlantic Ocean to America. Uh, this voyage uh, on a sailing ship lasted several weeks, of course. Uh, people on board were um, at constant risk of catching serious illnesses, such as uh, dysentery or uh, typhoid, often called uh, a ship fever. And small kids were actually the most vulnerable group of passengers, and many did not survive the ocean crossing. Uh, the ships uh, brought the immigrants to Boston, New York City, Baltimore, New Bern in North Carolina, New Orleans or Galveston in Texas. And after uh, landing, the settlers moved in various directions uh, to settle in larger cities in, uh, on the eastern coast or to buy farmland in the white plains of um, Texas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, or uh, to the region of the Great Lakes. Uh, Chicago actually became one of the, the, well, the third largest Czech city in the world after Prague and, and Vienna. 
you can see from this chart that uh, New York City was overwhelmingly the main port welcoming the new Americans. And throughout the second half of the 19th century, perhaps with the exception of 1860s during the American Civil War, and more and more Czechs arrived. With the outbreak of World War I in the summer of 1914, uh, statistics state that there were about 350,000 Czechs uh, living in America. Um, as you can see from this chart, the peak of immigrants from Czech lands was during the first decade of, um, of the 20th century, just before World War I. Some 12 or 30,000 people arrived every year. And from a more detailed statistics from various states of the Union, uh, you can see that the largest numbers of Czechs uh, arrived to Illinois, thanks to Chicago, to Nebraska, Wisconsin, Ohio, and Iowa. And another map. Uh, with the dots marking the Czech settlements around the states. So you can see that um, in Midwest and, uh, the Midwest and Texas, that probably most of them. Even today you can find more than 250 Czech villages and towns in, in Texas alone. So um, the, there were many Czechs. While the northwestern part of the states, you can see there were just, just a few. In addition to farmers and miners, for example, in Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Montana as well, uh, there were Czech workers, craftsmen, uh, brewers, sugar makers, cigar makers, uh, bagpipers, engineers, and experts in many other sectors uh, who settled in in uh, the large developing cities. Uh, there were also, you know, there was also a number of uh, growing businesses owned by the Czechs. The Atlas Brewery in Chicago was actually the biggest one, and no wonder, because the Czechs had a beer, uh, so it makes perfect sense. Let me give you some actual uh, data. As for the annual per capita consumption of beer, the Czechs are number one in the world, with 188 liters uh, per person. So uh, That's interesting, because at the very beginning, the Czech pioneers tended to settle in places that were already occupied by German immigrants. Uh, that was not pure coincidence. In fact, it was a deliberate plan on the part of the Czechs. Although they didn't like each other back in Europe, and the German social, political, and cultural pressure was one of the reasons to leave the country, the mentality and the, the life of uh, and the way of life of these two ethnic groups um, um, were similar. The Czechs usually spoke German as their second language, so it, for practical reasons uh, they decided to live together again. They traded, they coexisted, the kids went to the same schools, but this time it was different, right? They were all Americans, all swimming in the melting pot, uh, trying to seize opportunity to begin their American dream. The Czechs, uh, and uh, not only in Northwest or Midwest, but also in the Northwest, uh, showed an extraordinary desire to associate. They were founding a number of compatriot associations, clubs, businesses, schools, churches. Uh, restaurants, they were publishing periodicals, they were organizing various cultural, social, and educational events. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the Czech culture of life was very uh, rich. And even today you can still uh, find a number of towns that simply cannot deny their Czech character, such as Bohemia in Long Island, New York, Pisek, Juhradec in Dakota, Colin uh, here in, in uh, Montana, Tabor in Minnesota, and many, many uh, others. Let me just make a very short stop in three or more than, uh, than uh, five uh, big cities of a special significance for the whole Czech community in, in America. First of all, as I mentioned earlier, Chicago, that became one of the largest Czech cities 
uh, around, the, uh, around the world. Uh, many Czechs settled here and soon dominated in a number of neighborhoods, namely Prague, Pilsen, or Longdale. Uh, we are talking about 130,000 people of, uh, of Czech origin in Chicago alone, plus another uh, 70, maybe 80,000 in the uh, suburbs like Cicero and, and Berlin. The same story uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. The city had up to 60,000 Czechs and Slovaks. Many of them worked for Rockefeller's Standard Oil Company. Uh, New York City, of course, another very important uh, chapter. Uh, the first Czech neighborhood, if we can call it like that, developed in, in Lower Manhattan in, in the 1870s. Uh, the simple apartment houses the Czechs lived in were owned by uh, tobacco manufacturers, big employers in that area, and actually many cigar makers from, from Czech lands were invited by purpose by tobacco companies because there was a high demand for their experience in that field. And Avenue B and Houston Street in Lower Manhattan were called Czech Boulevard. And started, starting in late 1880s, the Czechs in Manhattan uh, settled mostly uh, in, in Upper East Side, between 65th and 78th Street. Uh, this you know, neighborhood had already uh, very diverse Central European ethnic enclaves. Many Germans, Hungarians, Poles, or Jews were living there, but the Czechs and the Slovaks dominated soon after with some 10,000 souls. Uh, the Bohemian National Hall at 73rd Street was a true beating heart of the Czech neighborhood. Uh, after its opening in 1896, it contained a restaurant, a hall for theater plays, concerts, and a number of rooms where up to 90 Czech clubs and associations held uh, their meetings and assemblies. Uh, it was uh, uh, renovated in the 1990s, and today it's a, it's a seat of the Czech uh, consulate, so it's still there. And I'm going to give a lecture on Monday. Uh, St. Louis, Missouri, uh, with almost uh, 10,000 Czechs at the end of the 19th century. They were living in a neighborhood called Bohemian Hill, surrounding the St. John Nepomuk Church. And when we talk about the Czechs in the late 19th century, uh, in all parts of the, uh, the United States, one phenomenon was linked with them. The Sokol, or uh, Falcon Sport Association. It was established in 1862 in Prague, based upon the principle of a strong mind in a sound body. Uh, and this organization, through lectures, discussions, and group outings, provided what its founders viewed as a physical, moral, and intellectual training for the Czech nation. The training extended to men of all ages and classes, and, and eventually uh, to uh, women uh, a bit later. And in 1865, only three years after the beginning of the original Sokol movement in Prague, the first Sokol branch began its work in St. Louis. And it never was an exclusively sport club. It also had an important social, educational, and political role in, in the community. Uh, for example, during World War I, the Sokols were uh, the, the first group that sent uh, the volunteers to join the Czechoslovak legions to fight in France or Russia. Uh, Sokols were the ones who uh, 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 gathered money to, to support the anti-Austrian resistance. So Sokol movement is very important. I'm not sure if there was a Sokol in, in Montana, but there was definitely one in Seattle, in, in Portland, Oregon, and in Idaho, so in all uh, neighboring states. Well, there were 8,000 Czechs living in uh, Greater Milwaukee, 2,000 in Detroit, 4,000 in Baltimore, uh, Obama, Nebraska, 1,000 in Houston, uh, several hundreds in Seattle and Portland. So my compatriots were simply expanding to all major U.S. cities by the end of the 19th century. 
probably the strongest stimulus for the Czechs uh, who wanted to settle in the countryside was the Homestead Act uh, in 1862, of course. Uh, that um, you know, enabled any US citizen or intended citizen uh, who had never borne arms against the US government to make a claim uh, for a piece of government uh, land of a maximum of 160 acres. So that was a big thing, a big stimulus, a big motivation for the Czechs. Um, and it brought thousands of them uh, to Midwest and a bit later in 1870s and 1880s to Northwest too. The Czech pioneers to these agricultural areas faced uh, wild uh, untilled land where there was literally nothing. Uh, the first habitations were built only by using primitive materials and elementary tools they brought. In damp dugouts built halfway in the ground using salt and other material available, they had to last out the, the early years. From their homes in Europe, they were used to, to growing cereals and uh, they felt unsure about switching to growing corn. Uh, they also didn't believe in a one crop system, so they also grew flax to make themselves clothes, uh, as well as vegetable gardens. But, you know, it was very hard. Uh, they lost their crops to drought, blind or grasshoppers. They were fighting loneliness in the woods or on the prairies. So the first years weren't easy at all. But the Czechs endured, and uh, as uh, the time passed, they adapted very well and were uh, able to prosper. They were farming, uh, they were operating threshing uh, machines, they owned a water power saw and the grist mill, and they became very extensive producers of lumber and flour. They also ran uh, grocery stores, uh, butcher shops, pubs, bakeries. They established uh, small firms and uh, crafts workshops. I'm still at the beginning of my research. Um, I'm actually about to write a book about the Czechs in Northwest, um, and uh, but so far I was able to find Czech traces in the following places in in Northwest. Uh, speaking of Montana, uh, there were some Czechs living in Helena, Bozeman, Missoula, Butte, Fort Shaw, Timberland, Columbia Falls, and also in in uh, Phillips County, uh, in uh, Lewistown and Roy, in Fergus County and other, uh, other places. Uh, I am in charge of the project called the Czechoslovak Talks. Uh, if you check on our website www.czechoslovaktalks.com for the English version, uh, you will find 35 or 40 stories of the Czechs who led the country. It's kind of a nice view into the modern history of my nation because you can find the stories of the people who led the country even before World War I during the Austrian times then in the interwar period, then after 1939, because they were Jewish and they had to leave because of Hitler, then after the communist takeover in 1948, after the Soviet invasion um, in 1968. So it's kind of interesting, and I always try to attract the, the students uh, to get more uh, you know, involved and interested in this history. I also found uh, a few stories uh, of, of the Czechs in, in Montana. For example, uh, John Horsky um, came to Helena in the spring of 1865 and uh, he turned his attention to the brewing business. He and his brother Joseph built the very first brewery in the city, the so-called Helena Brewery. Uh, and during his residence here uh, he had uh, all along more and more or less interested in mines and mining, uh, having done much to develop this interest in, in Montana. Another very interesting guy was Anton Nedviet. He resided here in Butte and was a very uh, was a well-known butcher. Uh, and uh, we can definitely mention more names. In fact, I was very happy to get connected with the people f uh, involved in the Montana Memory Project. 
and they provided useful information about the local Czech sites in the late 19th, uh, 19th century and about the Czech families mostly farming in various parts of the state, like the Chagas family, Dobias family, Uchitil family, Petrik family, and many, many uh, others. So again, I'm very happy uh, to be here and to have the opportunity to carry on, uh, to carry on my research in person. Uh, to, yeah, a few pictures. to make a brief conclusion, I, I believe that the phenomenon of the Czechs in Northwest uh, is uh, an important part of our meaning Czech history and uh, uh, it needs to be explored and I'm looking forward to many new findings and I'm so happy that uh, I'm here together with, with local historians and genealogists and researchers so please uh, stay in touch and uh, I'll be happy to continue information about this uh, and about the undiscovered treasures waiting just for me. Thank you very much for your attention.